Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of other people who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry, and welcome to the 20th season of this podcast and our first episode in 2022. For many, the phrase New Year is automatically associated with the word resolutions, and we want to go on record saying that we're not big fans of that tradition. But in researching for this episode, we did learn that there is actually some value in the practice. Yeah, I think most of us either know or assume that the majority of New Year's resolutions fail. In fact, according to a study in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, just 46%, or less than half, are actually kept. But the thing we didn't know that we learned from that study is that for the non-resolvers, as they call them, the people who don't state their goal as an official New Year's resolution, only 4%, or hardly any really, were successful at achieving them. So maybe the takeaway is that there's value in being clear about the changes we'd like to make and making them a bit more official by writing them down and or sharing them with someone who might encourage us to follow through. So we'd like to encourage you to join us and millions of others, as you'll soon hear, in officially resolving to prioritize our mental health in this new year. Instead of, or in addition to, if you prefer, losing some weight, quitting smoking, or getting on top of our finances, consider committing to some of the things that will help you manage your depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, or any other mental health challenges. Our guest today is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. She is a psychologist, author, and fellow mental health podcaster who joins us today to give her voice to depression. A couple days ago, the American Psychiatric Association released a study that found about one in four Americans, or more than 67 million adults, say that this year they are resolving to improve their mental health. They specified actions, including meditation, plans to see a therapist, taking a break from social media, journaling, using a mental health app, and making an appointment with a psychiatrist. Yes, I was excited to read that. And when I saw the actual statistics, it was very positive. I, it, it, it suggested to me that people are really trying to be more proactive, that if there's been any kind of gift from the pandemic, it has been, you know, either I didn't realize that I could, I, I could actually become mentally, you know, depressed or anxious, and now I am, or I've certainly had my share of it, or people who have been managing chronic illness had some skills at first, but, you know, those skills have waned as this has gone on and on. So when we talk about a mental health resolution, since we all are familiar with the regular health ones, we've joined gyms and said we were going to lose 10 pounds and drink less or whatever. 
what are mental health resolutions that will make a difference? I think that's a great question. You know, the, one of the problems with the losing 10 pounds in three days is that it starts off with self-loathing and shame. And I think that any goal that you set um, when it is based in, you know, I hate this about myself, I want to change it, is bound because you will you will slip up, you will make a mistake, and then you pile on the shame again. And that makes that just such a, a very difficult dynamic to work through. So I think better kinds of resolutions recognize that uh, that our our health is a totality. It's our physical health, it's our mental health, our emotional health, our spiritual health. And from that more holistic place, Dr. Margaret encourages us to set goals with the past, present, and future in mind. What I mean by that is you look at your past and say, are there things that are affecting me that I I must realize I can be aware that those things are affecting me and that I want to heal those? I want to connect with things that I've been afraid to connect with or have denied were important. So you want to look at your past. You want to look at your present to say, what can I do today that is really good self-care, not superficial self-care, not something that is just going to be kind of light and fun or something you do once and then you never do again. Real self-care is more about taking care of the small things, cleaning out a drawer or going for a walk with a friend or doing things that are very tangible, that help you sustain a better attitude. Dr. Margaret says the goal is to internally soothe ourselves, a focus that's becoming increasingly important in these strange recent years. In this pandemic, we have lost so many external validators. You know, I will feel better when I have my friends over to celebrate my birthday. I will feel better. I will be a happier person when I know that, you know, I can get together with with work colleagues and we can discuss an issue that we've really been wrestling with. And that process will, will help me feel better. Those kinds of things aren't happening And so we have to develop more of an internal validation and do that in the present. Things that we can say to ourselves, things that we can be aware of in the moment that are fulfilling. She says then, from that more validated and fulfilled place, we can look forward. And then there's the future where you want to make sure you're planting seeds mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually that are going to come to fruition I mean, just like you eat broccoli so you don't get colon cancer, you know, you can say, I'm going to talk to my eight-year-old about something I struggle with. I'm going to reveal my vulnerability to my eight-year-old in an age-appropriate way. So that 18-year-old will then come to me and talk to me about their own vulnerabilities. What can you do in the present that will affect the future positively. And they're just as real things that we can do for mental health and our mental stability and our mental fulfillment than we can do for our physical fulfillment. And since physical fulfillment involves so very many facets of our lives, Dr. Margaret encourages us to think of our diet not just as the foods we consume, but as all of the things that we put or allow into our bodies from what we listen to, watch and read, to who we hang out with. 
Sure. You know, there's a new book. It's called You Are What You Click. He's done some research. It's excellent research that for the first time shows that there, the more you watch and manage and are engaged in social media, the more depressed you will get. There is a directionality of that. It's not, we've kind of wondered, well, does depression, if you're depressed, then you reach out to social media? Is that the direction it is? Or if you're on social media, do you tend to get more depressed? And the answer is yes, you do. And so limiting your social media, limiting the kinds of friends you have around you. I I have this saying, good givers uh, attract good takers. Are you really giving and giving and giving in relationships and don't realize that, you know, those relationships don't give you back much? Or are you in some kind of toxic relationship where toxic friendships where, you know, uh, the people that you're hanging out with are, are complainers or are people who look on the negative side of things? You're going to absorb some of that. So you be, you're very, Again, I'll use the term proactive in what you want to surround yourself with. Okay, so we talked about some of the things we can avoid. I just want to pull up this American Psychiatric Study again, because some of the things that people said they were going to do as resolutions sort of surprised me. As we noted in the beginning, they said that they were going to meditate, see a therapist, take a break from social media, like you just mentioned, journal and see a psychiatrist. Those are real things that can make real differences. We're not talking about bubble baths here. There are things that have been shown to make a difference. What's not on there is exercise um, mm-hmm. and and nutrition. Um, but and I, you know maybe people don't really still see that as very uh, tied in with feeling good about your mental health and having good mental health. But those things are are introspective things: journaling, meditation, learning that you can control how your mind functions and what you focus on. Uh, certainly in therapy, starting therapy is such a, a, a wonderful commitment to yourself. And there are now these apps that are incredible um, and that you can use them whenever you want to. They are, uh, the therapist is readily available. It's, it's convenient. You know, I've been doing a lot of virtual therapy over the last two years and It's still not my favorite way to do therapy, but it can be very effective for a lot of people. And certainly people who had limited access before. And it's cheaper, yeah. And just it's it's altogether, and I think it will improve even more. The, The more we have it as a regular option for people, the better and better it will get because people will figure out, oh, this kind of thing works better with virtual work and that kind of thing. And you speak from the therapist perspective. From the patient perspective, I appreciate that so much less is required of me physically, because especially with depression, you know, getting up and taking a shower and getting dressed, sometimes that in and of itself can be a barrier. It can just seem like too much driving someplace or catching a bus when just talking about what you're experiencing can be hard enough. And if I can do that on the phone or do it like this, maybe with the camera off, that does make it more likely that I'll seek help. I think that's an excellent point, Terry, and something that 
uh, you know, people with, for, for example, agoraphobia or social anxiety, they find going to therapy almost impossible. And so uh, people with dissociative identity disorder, people with uh, dissociative disorders at all, sometimes find the act of going into a therapist's office very, very difficult. So if the pandemic has made us as individuals more aware of that fine line between being mentally well and mentally unwell, and so we might be more likely to set a resolution that involves or includes our mental health going into the new year, how can that knowledge help us step up and support other people? The awareness that someone may be struggling and they they may it may be obvious they're struggling but mm-hmm. it could be not obvious at all i mean i've written a whole book about that about people who look perfect they you know they have perfect looking lives on the outside but they are really uh, despairing and lonely and yes but they just have this compartmentalization ability to, and no one sees that sometimes they're not even aware of what really what's going on so i just think that Having more education about what depression is, what anxiety is. I have an anxiety disorder. I have panic. I actually have performance anxiety, and so you know, I've had people. I will say that, and they go, "You, you, you're so comfortable with yourself," and I go, "Actually, not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I might look like that." And I am much better than I used to be, but I also still sometimes panic in stores and things like that. And I, I, I regularly struggle with it. So you never really know what's going on with someone. And you don't want to assume um, that everyone is who they seem. There's a popular quote that tragically comes from Robin Williams, who died by suicide. He said, people don't fake depression. They fake being okay. You know, since I've been a therapist for 30 years, I think seem is maybe one of those really important words. It seems, she seems good. He seems well. (laughs) He seems like he's uh, doing fine. Mm, You don't really know. And so you you want to check how, you know, how are you doing today? I mean, really, how are you doing today? Um, That's one of the reasons why I talk to people about having my own panic because I, I don't, I, I want that stigma to decrease and if not vanish. Um, and so I think that it's something that we can all be honest with because it doesn't define you any more than anything else. Um, I have panic disorder. I also have a PhD. So what? (laughs) I have depression and you are depressed. And so at times, so, you know, it's, it's, that's just me. That's those are facts about me. Um, I and and I, I don't think either one defines me. Uh, I may struggle more with one than I struggle with the other one, but at the same time, it's it's that's just part of being human. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to understand that that spectrum of human emotions. You know, whether we label things as mental illness or mental unwellness or anxiety or depression or whatever. We need to be more accepting of the fact that at any given moment, on any given day, somebody can be anywhere on that spectrum. And so can we. Yes. Um, I can't tell you how many people have sat on my couch and said, I used to judge people who are feeling just like I feel right now. 
you know, I don't want to get out of bed and I don't want anyone to know that I don't want to get out of bed. And so I act like, you know, X, Y, or Z, or I have grief or I find out that these things that I've always called my mood swings are actually, you know, my family hates is actually bipolar disorder. And I have said, you know, I've made fun of the term bipolar and I've said those people are crazy. And yet now I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder myself. And so that judgment and that those, if those things happen to other people, they don't happen to me. They wouldn't happen to my son. They wouldn't happen to my daughter. And so, but they do. And um, I think that that is, you know, addictions, all this stuff. So it's really important to not, uh, not have a us and them kind of mentality, but a we. Dr. Margaret reminds that therapy can be necessary in healing, not just for things that have happened to us, but for things we ourselves may have done, actions for which we experience guilt or shame. And recognizing that, you know, there's a part of you that can forgive yourself or you can try to make amends. You can do things in the present that help you bear the sadness you feel for doing that to to someone else or to yourself. Um, And we all go through transformations and we all go through stages in which we begin to understand more of ourselves and the situations that we adapted to, and sometimes we adapted in ways that were wonderful, and sometimes we adapted to ways that were destructive. As we wrapped up our conversation, we tried to wrap up these last two unprecedented and challenging years. Dr. Margaret describes the experience as similar to driving on a highway that has no mile markers or information about when the next exit is. There are no signs about where you can get food or drink or go to the bathroom. There are no signs about how far away the city, you know, that you want to reach is. And it's just you just drive and drive and drive and drive. Are we making progress? What's going on? You know, we have another variant and another variant and another variant. It's like reminding yourself, talking to yourself, because we are not in control of as much. And that, Dr. Margaret reemphasizes, is when we need to focus inward on the things and responses we do still have some control over. You do have a lot of internal cues and internal ways of marking, wait a minute, how am I doing? How's my family doing? How are my children doing? And use those internal validators because the external ones just aren't as uh, evident. Note to self, huh? There is no health without mental health. I've got to remember that all year. And I love that potent question of what can I do presently that will have a positive impact on my future? That's a good question to hold, to answer, not hold. It absolutely is. Um, Speaking of questions, uh, I read this this morning. Um, Another one of our board members, Dr. Anita Sands, posted something from Sweatpants and Coffee on Facebook, and I love that site as well. It says, instead of focusing so much on a to-do list, I'm starting a to-be list, things I want to be, Mm. right? And then it lists things she wants to be, happy, calm, loving, healthy, and awesome. So that's another option as we (laughs) head into the new year. Yes. And to note that we will be linking to the American Psychiatric Association survey, in case you want to read it, as well as to Dr. Margaret's website, where you can learn about her book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, and her podcast, Self Work. 
We'd like to end this episode with a section of something that we both read, enjoyed, and posted online. It's by Charles Freeman of Momentary Happiness, and it says, I hope you have some time to pause and reflect on the year that was. I hope you notice how much you have grown, how much you have achieved, and how much you've learned. I hope you find the courage to forgive yourself for any mistakes you made along the way. I hope you trust that the mistakes you made and the confusion you felt will all begin to make some sense soon. And above all, I hope that you have the courage to begin again in a new year and continue touching the world with your light. Thank you for joining us. And Terry, I love you so much. Thank you, Bridget. Continue to shine your light. Thank you, Dr. Margaret. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.